This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Witching Hour is brought to you by Biobod, intuitive, supportive skincare that restores the foundations of happy skin. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, the podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us when it comes to making work work. I'm Lucinda and I am getting more puffed out by the weeks, Loz. You poor doll. Um, and I'm obviously <laughs> Loz. I don't have a um, tip today, but I have a did you know. You mean you don't have a good news story? Oh yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> oh, no, I do have a tip. I do have a tip. You always have tips. Don't say something short. I do. No, I don't have a good news story. I have a did you know. And I'm sure that I'm probably not the only person that didn't know this, but most people know that your hex, or I think it's now called help, but back in my day, it was yeah, called a hex debt. I've never heard of that. Help debt. Help, Yeah helped it. It's, it's quite funny, the terminology. So it's interest-free, right? So most people think just a cruise in the background with nothing. However, the full amount of your debt is indexed to inflation and added to your loan amount on the 1st of June each year. So this means if you fall pregnant or you're on maternity leave and you haven't paid off your HEX or HELP debt, while on maternity leave, your debt continues to go up and up and up. Did you know that? Wow. So you're saying that if you don't make sure you continue to make those repayments during maternity leave, is that what you mean? No. So you're, well, yes and no. It means that while you're not working, you're still getting charged additional. So they don't pause it when you're on mat leave? No. Dogs. Those government dogs. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought it was interesting. I was like, "That's really interesting." You... Yeah. So if let's just say you get pregnant and you're on mat leave, and then whilst on mat leave, you either on purpose or accidentally get pregnant again, so that's two years that you're still getting charged that indexation, and you're out of work for good reason. Isn't that bizarre? Don't you think there should be some form of a freeze on it? 100% there should be a freeze on it. I'm so glad you yeah. brought that up. I didn't realise. There you go. Neither did I. Sorry for those people that don't know. There's a good little did you know. You learn fact. something. You always learn something from Witching Hour. <laughs> yeah. It always comes from laws. False. But hopefully some people did learn something. Maybe we'll put a true or false poll up. Yeah. <laughs> true or false. Laws gives every bit of good advice on this show. True, 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 true. I do not. Today, ANZ links bonuses to office attendance. I have some opinions about that. Apparently, kids will pay the price in push for universal childcare, and we're not happy about this narrative of what we've seen online. And women that won't shut up in meetings, according to men. We've got some other facts. All right, Loz, kick me off with this ANZ thing. I don't think I'm going to like it. Yes, ANZ links bonuses to office attendance. So ANZ staff have been told that their annual bonuses may be cut if they fail to spend at least 50% of their scheduled working hours in the office. It's even worse than I thought it was going to be because they're saying any bonuses that have been a part of your structure in the past will actually cut for you not being there. It's not like an extra bonus for being there. No, no, no. They're this actually is part of your existing cutting. bonus structure. <gasps> 
Yeah. Ooh, she's not happy over here. Yeah. So a note, I'm not sure if this was the CEO that sent this out, but there was an email, a note. <laughs> My God. A, a pigeon wow. carrier. <laughs> <laughs> so an email was sent around and as part of that email it said, if you're working from your ANZ workplace less than half the time, averaged over a calendar month, please make the adjustments needed to increase your attendance so that you're contributing to maintaining the great culture we're known for at ANZ. That just seems unfair. It's so strange because, again, from the outside, they seem to be really progressive. They've got the 26 paid weeks of parental leave. And I think that's actually for both caregivers. I would say or so. Maybe as I'm an incorrect of there. That stage yeah. Of that so size. it seems like it seems like they're pretty progressive. But then how can you maintain a great culture by enforcing spending at least fifty percent of the time in the office? Particularly like let's just say that you're a new mum, for example. So you're a new mum, you're doing a slow return to work, which I believe ANZ actually encourages. So for the first month or perhaps it's longer depending on the relationship that you've got with your manager you say I'm going to do a slow return to work and I'm going to start with two days I mean surely they're not expecting one of those days to definitely be in the office particularly like what happens if your child gets sick half the time which they bloody do at the start of their daycare journey exactly or what happens if you are high during COVID and you lived in Geelong for example or you lived in regional Victoria and your manager was like that's fine you know we're flexible working blah 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 and now they're saying oh actually no sorry Lucy you now have to travel in 50% of your time you'd be like I don't even know if I want this job anymore if I went back to my job instead of freelancing I would have spent about three maybe even a little bit more hours in the car a day if I went back at three days a week I definitely would have been edging for only one office day if I went back at four days a week maybe I would have agreed to two office days but as you say, as soon as it, like the first year of childcare, they get sick off and on that entire year. Yeah. And unfortunately for Hades and I, his work is literally on site. Mine can be done at a computer. So it does inadvertently fall on me a lot of the time. Not always, but a lot of the time. So on any weeks that Ray would have been sick, I would have been working from home full time and I get penalized for that. Like, where do they want it's- me to send my child? It's just strange. It strikes me as unusual. And what I want to say is that I am all for people going back into the office. I think it's great. Right. I think women Some do need to have a presence. Yeah, yeah absolutely, in the, in the office. However, where I think a line needs to be drawn is that I don't think you can put a financial bonus structured or tied into office attendance. Because Especially we one of the stats that men are more likely to be in the office. So I'm like, that's already kind of bit of you know yeah. it's not really that kind it's discriminatory really i and think it, so in some ways and it opens up that gender pay up conversation even more and i'm the same i absolutely encourage especially mothers to go into their workplaces but i think if a mother is working three days a week one day a week should be enough for her to be in the office so under this they would have they would have to be in twice so you yeah. work one day from home, two days in the office. And I think it's so funny because people listening to this would be like, guys, come on. Like we used to be five days in the office. I get it, like for sure. But times have absolutely changed. Yeah. And, and we've proven how we demanding can work more. At home. Yeah. And so they should. Everyone actually realizes that like slogging yourself in an office is not necessarily the key to a happy life and that we need more balance in our lives. I also don't like now that you've laid this out for me. 
I don't like that it's saying your bonuses may be cut if you fail to do something as yeah. opposed to if you really want to give people incentives to get in the office, have above and over bonuses for that attendance. Don't mm-hmm. cut people's bonuses who are potentially doing incredible work. The mental gymnastics to get in even one day a week for a parent who's the primary caregiver can be huge, like the drop-offs, the pickups, what what meals do they need, what clothes do they need to pack if they're dropping off at a grandparent's maybe that grandparent doesn't really do much besides I mean not not do much but you have to take absolute everything with you yeah yeah. you have to organize an activity because they need to be able to get out like there is so much involved with a primary caregiver getting through the office doors in a day to make them do it at least 50% of the time isn't fair 33% about a third I would say I get it one in three days totally get it 50% not fair. I still think it's wild that we're moving away from performance. So like what happens if someone was a shitty performer? So they were subpar, they were average, they were literally just going in, doing their shit, clocking off. Maybe they went in literally nine to five, 901, 459. They're out. Their work was average, but they went to the office every day. Does that person get prioritized for a bonus over somebody else who maybe a has productive working mother that happens to do most of her work from her home. It's yeah. so Come unfair. On, I'm just as well. I'm picturing like the archetype of like a 26 year old male without kids who just sort of like dilly dallies at work, sometimes works hard, mostly doesn't. And next to him, this mum that's just like at a keyboard, like just being the most productive legend in the world. And that she doesn't get the bonus well, that he does. Do you know what? It brings me back to a story. So one of my first roles um, was in a government organisation. And when I was there, which was many years ago, they had this thing called flexi hours or flexi time. So what would happen is if if you were under a certain band or bracket, so it was not for like an executive, it was more so for the middle average day Joe in government, if you worked over and above your hours, you could bank those hours and take flexi time. I don't believe that exists anymore for this exact reason. Some people, and not all, I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, but some people went in and they would literally sit at their desk on Facebook. I mean, I don't even know if we had Facebook. Yeah, we did have Facebook. Doing shit all. I make myself sound so old sometimes. I mean, I feel it. But bloody hell, not I sound old. ancient. I, I sound ancient. Say they old. You're not bloody old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. You're right. Um, so they would sit there just like scrolling aimlessly and then they would yes. bank those minutes and like even yes. dumb stuff like I'm going to bank seven minutes for working till 5.07. I'm like, is this, is this chick from Like real? that's taking the absolute piss. Like I see you. What, you're not doing anything. And to be honest, you've been sitting there, you've had – 15 lattes all day. You've been talking near the frigging photocopier. Get your shit done, mate. We're all wa- waiting on you. And, and we yet they have, have those... eight days extra leave. Oh, that makes me so angry. And we all have mm. those moments. You look back on some of your work days where you did just stay in the office for the sake of appearance. Obviously, there's a lot of the time where you are just working hard and you have long hours or whatever. But we've all sat there till 6 p.m. because we thought it looked better for semantics. And I'm like, what a waste of time. It's unproductive. Yeah, it's, unproductive. it's really unproductive. You're, all you're doing is sitting there, whereas this mum who might be in the office only once a week who's probably contributing more to that workplace than half of the people around her. Well, we do know, and I think we touched on this in a previous episode, that female productivity actually increases with the number of children that you have. 
Yes. Mm, for Say obvious no reasons. Yes. Yeah. Say no bloody more. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting to watch this one once this does roll out because what I'd be curious to see is how retention looks at ANZ over that time period, particularly for women. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that would put a bad taste in my mouth and might propel me to eventually look for a new job. And I would be intrigued to see out of those bonuses given what percentage of men versus women received those. So I hope they release that data. We hope they release that data. Kids will pay the price in push for universal childcare. Advocates fail to acknowledge the evidence that daycare can harm young children's development. An article was sent to me by a friend from the Australian that references Harvard research, so it's quite notable. I mean, just that name, you know, screams notoriety from over a decade ago. So it was like 10 years ago, but people are still harping on about it, suggesting that excessive, and I want to really emphasize that word, so excessive stress in infants disrupts the developing brain. When I was reading through this article, essentially what it's trying to say is that your child is stressed when you drop them to daycare, the reason why they're stressed is because they're not with you and essentially they're traumatised. Like it implies that and all like children they should are, be with you. are traumatised. Yeah. There was also a viral reel, which I think you actually sent to me, Lou, yes. that you're going to I'm going to play for those who haven't one, seen it. Yes. So this was a video that went viral on Instagram that the Mum Room podcast picked up. So I'll play it now. When you drop your baby off for an eight hour work day, what does that feel like for an infant? They feel like you've died. Is it true that the only way mothers are able to go back to work after three months is to emotionally disconnect from their babies? If you flip that switch every day, your baby is gonna start to flip that switch too. They think that it's benefiting them socially. No, just no. I can debunk, I can debunk that myth. If you had to say, okay, you are the ideal candidate for daycare, who is that person? I don't think anybody's a good candidate. I wish that a single mother would get together with another single mother and hire a babysitter. There are moms who say, well, my child has been in daycare since they were six weeks old and they're fine. Sometimes the symptoms come out in early childhood. Sometimes they'll come out in middle school. What is better for part-time moms? To work every day a little bit. Why is it crucial for moms to not repress feelings of guilt? When we tell women to ignore their guilt, we are not doing any favors to those women and we are definitely not doing any favors to their children. Online, mothers are told, just ignore your guilt. You're basically telling mothers to shut down their sensitive empathic nurturing, which is critical to the survival of that child. We're talking about an epidemic of mental illness in children and adolescents, which I think is rooted in the way we raise our children from a young age. I think, she just said at the end, I think is rooted. So that's not research, but Loz, give it to me. I'm angry. Look, this is what we know. So we know from the Australian Institute of Family Studies that 40% of mothers are employed full-time when their child is under the age of one. So a lot of those mothers don't necessarily have the options of sharing a nanny, having a nanny. I love the the way she talks about, yeah, two single mums should get together and hire a nanny. A fort wage, babe. Exactly. And also Rachel Maximovic, who was on my podcast, who's a single mother, So that was nearly a full-time job when she did hire a nanny and share that care with other mums because organising it was so stressful that she ended up cancelling it. I think the whole thing is ludicrous and whilst it would be amazing if all mums could spend as much time as they liked with their children, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to rebut my own self there because that's not amazing. I think I've done it and I felt like, thank Christ for childcare. But it's not applicable. Like 
most families cannot afford to do that. And we know that mum, a lot of mums need a break from their children in order for their mental health to be okay. So I love the way she's talking about, oh, we, t- we tell women to shut down their mum guilt. What about their mental health? Yeah, I find this kind of stuff so damaging. I feel like the fact that it's gone viral is almost even worse because it's targeting so many new moms who are already so nervous about sending their child to childcare. And of course, like your child will cry. Of course they will. It's a new environment. It's unfamiliar. They don't know their educators just yet. Like Sienna's three and sometimes upon drop-off, she still cracks a tanty and has a bit of a teary. But then they called me 10 minutes later. They're like, she's so happy. She's outside playing. She's eaten sand, like she's having the best time of her life. So I think this kind of content can be so damaging and we don't live in a society that really facilitates being at home with your child 24-7. If you can, no. great, like good on you. But for so many people, that's not, not going to pan out. A potential, let alone something that they can prioritise if they can afford to. Exactly. I also remember when I interviewed Lael Stone in an earlier Ready or Not episode, she said that it's actually really important for children to have a network of caregivers that they feel comfortable with. What I yeah. think is really funny and ironic about all of this, all of this attachment parenting that we talk about, is that I am a 31-year-old who is still nervous about the day that I'll have to say goodbye to both of my parents. We cannot create these societies where all our kids know is us. It's not healthy. The older you get, the more broadly you expand your networks and you need that. Your parents are going to leave you one day and they can't be with you every second of every day. And they go off to school. So what do they do? Stay home until until they're five years old and then go well, off to that's, school? That's almost what she's suggesting. And then I will say actually on this, the flip side of that for those people that do homeschool, for example, is another viral trend that we've seen. I can't remember her name where she's like cooking a cake and really calm and playing with her children. I mean, she cops so much flack for that. And I know it was done in a bit of satire, but at the same time, I think like who wins? Like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So it's like, do what's going to suit you in your lifestyle and your mental yeah. health and then go from there. Like, There's also so much research online into the ways kids benefit from having a mum that engages in paid work. Yes, there is. And one of those stats is that daughters of working mothers earn approximately 6% more. Another good stat is that sons of working mothers spend an additional hour a week caring for family members later in life and also spend 17, very precise, minutes more per week on household chores, which researchers found increases women's labour force involvement and might lead to more stable marriages. I mean, unsurprising for me. Yeah, that's... The 17 minutes counts. Amen, it does. I think this is so damaging to say that the child feels as though they're... You're going to die. ...is terrifying. Imagine a mother that is returning to work tomorrow already feeling all the emotions that are tied up in that, seeing a headline or seeing a reel on Instagram that said your kid feels like you're dying when you leave them at daycare. Also, Loz, you really honed in on the word excessive to do with stress. Is that because you're saying that, yeah, kids might be stressed when you drop them off, but that's not excessive stress? Absolutely. So excessive stress would be if your child is screaming and crying all day, 
if it's serious, if it's causing them to harm themselves, if it's long lasting, so they come home and they're still debilitated, if they're having panic attacks regularly at daycare, it's all those kind of things. It's not your kid crying for a minute at drop off. Like there are these scenarios where perhaps a child does need to get pulled yes. out of daycare because it is so terrible for them. But what you're saying is that for the majority, it's a five minute cry and then they have the best day ever. And then they come home to their loving parents. Absolutely. And I think that's what's not being said in these clips that are going around. And then parents are like, oh shit, you know, I dropped little Johnny at daycare today and he was devastated. Well, I mean, would your child prefer to be spending time with you actively playing and building things? Absolutely. Is the likelihood that you're going to be doing that all day with them true? Probably not. Especially not every day. The reason that I am able to engage and play with Frey is because I have breaks from him to work and do other things. Yes, spot on. And is it better than being with a loving parent that's annoyed with them some of the time because they don't get a break? No. And I would also point out, where's the focus on dads taking advantage of parental leave and spending time at home to balance or stretch out that's you know, the time before point, families need we, to send their childcare? Because we also know that there's studies on how that improves a kid's mental health. I do think it's fascinating the way that these conversations are always so skewed towards women as if it's, like you do the daycare drop off, you're the person making the decision to send them to childcare, you're the bad person, you're the one inflicting trauma. Yes, like the onus is fully on the mum. Yeah, like what about the dads? Like I don't know very many people at all that haven't had a conversation with their partner about childcare. And even just the way she talks about mum guilt in that, like that mums are pushing down their mum guilt. It's like, why is the guilt all on the mum? Exactly. It's so odd. So the Fatherhood Project, which is a non-profit fatherhood program seeking to improve the health and well-being of children and families, did some research. And here are 10 important facts that were collected. Fathers and infants can be equally as attached as mother and infants. When both parents are involved with the child, infants are attached to both parents from the beginning of life. Father involvement is related to positive child health outcomes in infants, such as improved weight gain in preterm infants and improved breastfeeding rates. Children with actively involved fathers are 43% more likely to earn A's in school. Not that it's all about grades, but oh, that's interesting. Stat, and 33% less likely to repeat a grade than those without engaged dads. I don't think schooling is the be-all, end-all. But Me either. it also says that father engagement reduces the frequency of behavioural problems in boys while also decreasing delinquency and economic disadvantage in low-income families. I find it amazing that we focus so much on mum guilt and what mums are doing. And as you say, the decisions that seem to all fall on mum, like, oh, mum wants to go back to work so the kid has to go to childcare. If the dad wants to return to work, that's just seen as standard. That's just living. But yeah. It's the mum going back to work that means that childcare needs to be introduced. When we see that fatherhood engagement is probably more important here than whether your kid goes to daycare or not. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. It makes me so angry. And we are talking about mothers and fathers in this situation, but for any family structure, involved parents are more important and happy parents are surely more important then your kid dealing with the challenges that come with being separated by their parents sometimes. Yes, it can hurt to be separated by your parents. Is it good for you? I think it is. As long as you have a loving home and you do have quality time with your parents, 
We cannot make everything so much harder and more guilt-ridden for mothers. Loz, did you know that sensitive skin is one of the most common complaints with around 60% of women claiming they suffer from skin sensitivities? Many people with sensitive skin go as far as to say they feel completely excluded from the beauty industry and many feel anxious even when trying new products. I didn't know it was 60%, but I do know that for me during pregnancy and particularly postpartum, my skin has completely changed. So it went from hormonal outbreaks and pigmentation to super sensitive to now dry as a bone. Uh, I've been using BioBod for a couple of months now and have noticed a really big difference in the overall look and feel of my skin. I've definitely seen an improvement in my pigmentation and redness. Plus, their rice and oat cleanser in particular smells amazing and is so effective if you're looking for a gentle exfoliation that doesn't leave your skin feeling tight or super dry. BioBod formulas are toxin-free, crafted with proven skin-loving ingredients and are designed to be gentle on the skin while delivering effective results, making them ideal for skin during and post-pregnancy. With a 100% happiness guarantee, you can feel confident that if any products do not work for your skin, BioBod will refund them. Gotta love a female-led company that believes in science, results, and happy customers. Listeners of Witching Hour will receive 20% off BioBod using code READY20. That's READY20. Who won't shut up in meetings? Men say it's women, but it's not. In a study of US senators, those who had more leadership roles, seniority, committee assignments, influence, legislative activity, and earmarks in spending bills took up more time on the Senate floor, but only if they were men. Why didn't having status and influence lead women to be more vocal? Experiments showed that women weren't worried about building rapport. They were afraid of being perceived as too dominant and controlling, which is exactly what happened when they did speak up. So a recent study of 5,000 Americans listened to men and women interrupting each other with identical scripts. Men judged women as ruder, colder, and less intelligent than men interjecting with the exact same words. Women showed no gender bias whatsoever. They evaluated male and female interrupters the same way. How fascinating is that? So this is hilarious. So men were judging women as colder and ruder for interrupting and were very offended and very triggered by it. But a separate study from George Washington University found that men interrupted 33% more often when they spoke with women than when they spoke with other men. According to the researchers, over the course of a three-minute conversation, men interrupted women 2.1 times. In contrast, during conversations of the same duration, men interrupted other men only 1.8 times and women on average interrupted men only once. Gosh, this is fascinating. So what counts as a rude interruption basically depends on your gender. Yeah. And I think we've all heard the terms like mansplaining. I saw some other ones the other day that was like manologues and manterrupting. (laughs) I was like, very relevant. Um, But it is funny. I think most people have been in a situation where you're in a room and there's a lot of men and you're dying to ask something or you need a bit of clarification or something's confusing or you don't necessarily agree with something and want to give your opinion. And there's so many occasions where you kind of sit back and wait for your turn. Whereas the graduate that's a guy that's just joined is like straight in there 
And you're like, geez, he's confident. But it's actually not about confident. It's more about a gender thing. Bias, 100%. Where women, I would say, are more respectful. (laughs) But also women don't interrupt as much. I I think it comes back to the more traditional workplace setting of a man in power and more of that female assistant role. And as much as I would like to say that doesn't exist in 2023, Studies are showing and research is showing that it still does. Hopefully Sorry. what we're missing is that it exists less. Hopefully these stats were worse 10 years ago. You've just, as you spoke about that before, you reminded me of a story of me being in a meeting pretty early on at my last place of employment with an older male and he actually did the opposite of what we're talking about now. He suggested this sort of content strategy to a sponsor and then he was like, and what do you think? And because I was so off guard or so caught off guard that a more senior male asked me for my opinion, all I could get out was, I agree. And it's because, and I was so embarrassed afterwards. And I was like, Lucy, go on, bloody like contribute. But do you know why? It's because no one's ever turned to me and asked me that probably before (laughs) in a meeting. Yeah. So I was so caught off guard that I just contributed this stupid little, I agree. Yeah. Which happens on so many occasions. Sorry. I was doing a bit of googling and I was like what are some of the ways in this age that we can shut down mansplaining if you feel like it's happening or if you're just in an uncomfortable situation if you're in a room and you're like someone's interrupted you you're like all right like I don't want to be rude but like give me some space like I'm trying to get a point across yeah and there was a couple of things that I found fucking awkward situations yeah you're like shut sit down George like I'm trying to freaking get my point across yeah and don't comment instead of saying that (laughs) (laughs) instead of saying that here's five ways that you can shut it down while still maintaining your integrity number one the hip check that's when you say something like let me continue if there's still a question we can address it at the end so it's not asking for permission like could you please it's saying it's putting a stop to it I'm, the like, I'm going to continue. <laughs> you can ask me a question later. Number two is the quip. So if you're getting talked over, throw out a quip using humor. And I think humor is the kind of critical word there. So it's like, now, John, you know, I'm not going to give up the floor without a fight. So you may as well just sit down. I'll just be two minutes. Like, even though I find that almost more awkward, like I couldn't do that. I couldn't yeah. fake being funny. I'd be like, do you know what annoys me about that, that tip? I do like it in a lot of ways, but I'm like, it's it sounds like that tip was created because of the, oh, women get perceived as fucking aggressive and rude. Crazy. That same way that men do. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that tip, but I feel like that just plays into the handbook of it oh, women does. are so assertive and aggressive. It does, but I also think a lot of people would feel more comfortable with that, like yes. comfortable being like, I'm just going to get my point across and then you can, you know, I'll hand the mic over to you. You know, you use a bit of humor when deep down you're like, shut up. I need to finish what I'm saying because it's important. You know, relax. The next one I really liked is called the redirect. And it's not redirecting to another man. It's redirecting purposely to another woman if there's one in the room. So it would be saying something like, Steve, before we go there, I'd like to see what Cindy thinks. And like, Cindy, that's me. (laughs) giving that person an opportunity, another female, an opportunity to contribute to the conversation when otherwise most men wouldn't have asked them. Yes, I love that. That's great. And it gives that person agency to then think about contributing more. Maybe don't do a last minute. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Give it a heads up. Yeah, yes. Well, that's what I need. (laughs) Number four is the outdoor voice. I actually think 
I mean, I'm quite loud as a person, so I don't mind using my voice to speak over someone if I feel like I need to. But I, I don't know how most other people would feel about this. I don't think that you would do this. But I'm essentially it's... voice too, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, but the adult voice is making yourself know by speaking slightly louder than usual. I have noticed with myself, if I'm anxious or nervous or I feel like I'm asking a silly question, and I know there's no silly questions, I will either say something like, oh, I just, or I don't really, or like I, I tend to use You actually practice a lot of what you say, and I try to pull you up on it with this sounds ridiculous, but, or this sounds something, but. Yeah. So you do. That's true. I do. And yeah. when I do things like that in a corporate setting, I'm often quieter yeah. because I'm nervous. So yep. it's kind of suggesting to women, go the opposite way. Mm. Make yourself known, be a bit louder. Yeah. Take up space. It's so interesting. I definitely have my own version of that. I think for me, it's more like, correct me if I'm wrong, or you probably don't need to hear this from me because you're good at what you do, but perhaps we could do this. So I do it too, just in a different way. Yeah. The last one is the call out, which I am all about. So if someone is just overriding you in meetings, it's happened on multiple occasions. I don't think there's anything wrong with at the end of that meeting, like if you don't feel comfortable enough to say something, hold it in and then right at the end, either say something privately or email that person for a private one-on-one, talk about what's going on, how it made you feel and how it's affecting your ability to actually get your job done. So like, I don't think I've had an occasion where I've had to do that, but I definitely know a girlfriend that has where someone like with the best intentions in her team was asking questions and interrupting a presentation she was giving to a client. And I think it was done with the best intentions, but what he did by doing that is almost undervalued her experience yeah and it makes her a client I can't even think of that as the best of intentions but maybe I'm just a bitch (laughs) well I just don't think I think they weren't probably across all of as if you wouldn't wait though I reckon that's where respect comes in what you were talking about earlier like I would never question someone during a client presentation if I had any questions that needed answering unless it literally affected the way I was disseminating information in real time Otherwise, wait till the end. That is so disrespectful. Yeah. So I know that they had a one-on-one meeting and I think she was a bit like, look, I appreciate your curiosity. I think it's great that you're so inquisitive and that you're asking these really, you know, targeted questions, but the best time to do them would be in private before a meeting, not in front of clients. It doesn't make us look like a team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which I actually think is a really great approach. And if you want us to look good, let's absolutely do that before meetings because we might find other things that we can talk about or other talking points or we might even be able to strengthen our presentation not during when I'm like shit I don't really have the answer for that but thank you Johnny thank you (laughs) thanks I love this concept of taking up space I think as women I was speaking about this actually when I was away with my cousin my auntie and my mum as women I think for centuries we've taken up less space we've been smaller we've been the supporting act for men in our lives so I love this idea of taking up space in the office it's probably the last place where we're really still scared to really step up and it comes back to the point that if you think you're being an inconvenience or if you're interrupting the stats are showing that you're not so ask the question interrupt more let's get those bloody numbers up (laughs) (laughs) yeah interrupt more go girls (laughs) All right, my tip for the week. 
Number one, I've only put one in this production schedule, but I wanted to slot another one in there because it's so good. Number one, return to work after maternity leave or parental leave on a Wednesday, if you can. Returning midweek gives you one day to get reacquainted and likelihood is on that first day. It's it's always a bit awkward. Like, I don't care what anybody says. You're going back. You're like, hey, everyone. You're kind of pottering. You just want the day to be over. That first day probably is asks you about Like, it's baby. weird. Like, yeah, yeah, it's they're good. Weird. They're one. So. Yeah, like. <laughs> they weren't born yesterday. Um, exactly. So you just need to rip the Band-Aid off. If you can do it midweek, even better. Then you've just got one day of work, which is a Thursday. And then before you know it, it's Friday. It's like. I love You're this done. tip. Yeah. So good. My second tip. Start on a tip, Friday, which... I say. <laughs> Start on a Friday. How good? Start with a Friday bevy. My second tip, which I know is not work-related, and Lucy will be like, Loz, are you for real? But I am because it's I'm freaking good. If you don't already have Amazon Prime, is that uh, what it's called? I don't know. Amazon Prime is in the, the streaming service. No, the... 24-hour turnaround drop at your door service. Oh, I hate Amazon. Oh, Fucking it is. Capitalist you know pigs. what? I knew you would say this. It's excellent. <laughs> and I, you know I, me wanna, well. You know I want to tell you why. I want to tell you why. There is nothing worse than going to a supermarket with your children and having to pick up laundry powder, nappies, toilet paper. Not only are they bulky, but they're fucking heavy and then you've got to drag them to the car then you've got to drag them from the car into your house like it's just a pain in the ass you know what's so good about amazon all that shit that's irritating in your your, what's it called shopping trolley delivered straight to your door 24 hours unbelievable it's so good you actually save the only time and energy (laughs) but i swear to god it is because like you know why i say that coles gives me the shits Five out of pigs too, so I'm not very much better by doing an online order with bullies, am I? Every time I've made an order with them, they always forget something. It gives me the absolute Who does? Shit. Coles. Coles, yeah. And I think it's 12 bucks. It's too much money. Amazon is cheap. It's not expensive. I think it's $6 a month or something. Or if you pay for the year, it's 30 bucks like a, a year. Yeah. Yeah, and it comes within 24 hours. Yeah. And it's dropped directly to your door. Yeah, okay. Look, I get the convenience, but I hate it. It is so convenient, Lou. The public publishing industry. I hate and if you, brick and mortar stores. <laughs> you, I hate them. I hate oh them. Oh my god. Okay, well and if you get a subscription for your nappies, number one, they're cheaper than what you get at the supermarket anyway. But if you get a subscription, comes to your door every month, whatever, you never have to think about it. A plus. Excellent. Excellent. There's my hack. Oh, look, reducing the mental load's a good part of that, so I'll give you that. My tip just came from an interview I've just recorded with Natasha Heger, who works full-time at Swiss and has one child. And she is really big. This episode won't have been released, so stay tuned. But she's very big on herself at the moment. And I said that's such a breath of fresh air for someone that works five days a week and parents on top of that to hear someone say that they're focused on putting themselves first. And so my tip, thanks to Natasha, is if you are feeling so strapped for time, you're either full-time mother, full-time worker, you're somewhere in between, start small. Start with 15 minutes, she says. Put your runners on, go for a walk around the block, leave your child with whoever, partner, parent, whoever is around to help you. Start small. doesn't have to be a one-hour Pilates class and you're figuring out how you'll then get home and showered in time for work to do the daycare drop-off. doesn't have to be anything big. Start small but prioritise yourself. 
especially as we head into such a busy time of year. Christmas is obviously very joyful or for those that don't. Oh, it's hectic. Christmas, the holiday season as a whole, it's joyful, but it's also overwhelming. So everyone needs to go home and start with 15 minutes to themselves. Could even be in your house. You can't be bothered putting any clothes on. You're nude. You just go to the shower, get into the bedroom, have some time with reading a book. Whatever it is, start small, build up from there. Loz, that is us done for the day. We went for a while last week. We're a bit shorter and sharper this week. Yes. As always, if you have loved listening to today's episode, please leave us a review and be sure to follow us on readyornot.pod. 